2: Thanks to our Malt Mates at Crime Malt, I'm Matt Kierkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. Or this week, Dollar Bill Brewing, as we're joined by Fiona and Ed Nolly, who are just getting over taking out the Champion Beer Trophy at the 2021 Australian International Beer Awards. As you'll hear, Dollar Bill is a very ironic name for a business producing less than 15,000 litres a year and taking up two years to produce it but you'll hear a fascinating chat with two people pursuing their passion despite the challenges of being small, maintaining jobs and a family alongside their small business, and a fair few planning and development issues thrown in as well. But you're also going to hear two people who make you feel very excited about the industry as they digest winning one of the highest industry accolades with humour and humility. I hope you'll find this conversation as fun and uplifting, as inspiring as I did. Fiona and Ed Nolly, welcome to Beer as a Conversation.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us.
2: Well, let's jump to the end of the story at the beginning and congratulations on an amazing result Thursday night at the Australian International Beer Awards.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was um, yeah, hard to hard to get my head around it, really. I'm still, you know, reeling from it, I guess.
0: Yeah, and, and coming back to the real world and, you know, doing the washing for the kids stuff while we're away and that sort yep. of, uh, you know, it was this massive moment and all of a sudden normality kicks you in the face again.
2: <laughs> Look, it's, it's a big week, you know, for, for small breweries that are hands-on and don't, you know, sort of have staff to sort of keep things going in the background, going to things like Good yep. Beer Week or the AIBAs is, is a huge thing. Um, but then when you win an award uh, such as you did, you know, the Champion Beer, the Best of Show – I guess that has meant that the week after hasn't been much um, relaxation for you either.
1: No, and gab's in between. Gab's, um, yep. <laughs> yeah. Sorry.
0: No, but we wouldn't give it up for anything. Yeah. It is, it's is—it's exactly what we love doing. I mean, we're just very fortunate that Ed happens to be incredible what he does. And uh, as you can tell from my voice, I love <laughs> to have a chat. <laughs> No, it's great to get out there and do those sorts of things, and yeah, they're a bit hectic, but gee, how lucky are we to be part of the uh, industry? It's um, uh, you know, we actually you know, have a business doing what we love, which is an incredible thing to achieve.
2: Which, yeah, again, and and I guess that's the siren song that a lot of people hear. But we'll probably dig a little bit deeper into some of the day to day realities of that dream job um, <laughs> as, as we yeah. go through this conversation. Sure. But uh, tell tell us what you know when you win Champion Beer at the biggest beer awards in Australia, obviously a lot of media, obviously a lot of people wanting, but you know, have, have the retailers been getting on the phones of saying, I want some of that beer, or I want whatever beers, uh, have you got any beer?
1: Yeah, yeah I've, I've avoided looking at my inbox for the <laughs> last week, <year. laughs> it's, it's a bit crazy, uh, and especially for a beer that we kind of, we sold all of it before we even went to the competition, so, um, you know, unfortunate for us, but <laughs> great to have it out there, so...
0: Yeah it was one of those things we sort of uh, we did a couple of months sort of uh, beforehand and we ran it as a festival beer out at a brewer's feast and then packaged the rest up and stuff and we we just were not expecting this result I mean and to be absolutely naive I didn't even know once um, our categories so we only entered two beers and once they were finished I was like good I'm done and I was sitting there posting away on my phone going, I've got to post this. And it's like, you know, you're watching. I'm like, shut up. I'm doing a post. And the next thing I heard our name and I was like, hang on, I did the entry. Why are we on the board? (laughs) I didn't do this. Why are we on the board? And um, no, it has just been the wildest ride and all the hours and all the shuffling and all the stuff our family and everyone do behind the scenes to, you know, support us. Um, It's just incredible. And we we wouldn't give it up for anything. Yes.
2: So let's talk, uh, you know, what is Dollar Bill? How, you know, how much beer do you put out in a year um, that you now have to uh, have a lot of people clamouring for?
1: Uh, so our production capacity is about 12,000 litres a
2: year, so not much. Um, You're going to get it, a huge it, excise rebate, I'm hearing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it hasn't really affected us yet. But um, basically, we yeah, put stuff into barrels. So uh, we're gradually increasing our production year after year. But because we average about eighteen months to two years on our products in barrel, it's um we're a little bit delayed. So the stuff we started putting away a year ago, we up production about a year ago, um, and we'll see that coming online in six months. But yeah, majority of it, if we up production now, we'll be
2: hitting in two years' time. What we'll we be,
0: be we'll be set.
2: So. Patience, but listeners. Having... Patience. <laughs> <laughs> you can try at a champion beer in two years' time. That's it.
0: Exactly. That's oh no, we've already rang the farmer that gave us the peaches. We've uh, locked that one in for next year. We're not. We're not silly enough to let that get loose before we'd uh, secured it. Yeah. Um. But we look back and we started with um. You know, a container in the driveway of our house like 12, uh, with sixteen barrels in, barrels in it. it and knocking on doors so you know we're still small but for us you know we now have 120 barrels and um you know our branding's gone amazingly and we've um you know we're, we're part of the industry so you know we already felt pretty successful and now to have people turn around and go you are you just did a really good job it's um super awesome it you know keeps you uh driven to keep going when you do get tired
2: Yeah. well let's jump back um to to the before times, um, you know, tell us the uh, Fiona and Ed story. What did you want to do when you left school? You know, what were what, what were your uh, hopes and dreams as uh, you know, callow youths?
0: Oh, okay, beautiful. I'll let Ed go first because mine's probably simpler than his.
1: I I guess I always wanted to be a mad scientist, so (laughs) just some crazy hair going on and a lab coat and some glasses and put potions together. So I I ended up in the right area, I guess.
2: So So did you study science uh, when you left school?
1: No, I went into engineering uh, briefly, hated it because it was all maths, uh, and then uh, decided to leave and, and became a ski bum for about seven years. So that was you know the alternative at that time which is you know a little <laughs> bit better <less thinner. laughs>
0: but it was during that time you worked at a brew pub
1: yeah so i did i worked at a brew pub over in uh canada okay and i went over there with a, a mate from high school, and he ended up working in you know, a winemaker's and I ended up working in a brew pub. He ended up becoming a winemaker and I guess I ended up becoming a brewer. So,
0: Which, touching amazing. on that, thus our um, amazing barrels that we give so much credit to, we just happen to have a friend in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: So, uh, right, right. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that. So, when did you guys meet and uh, did, did you have the same, uh, you know, interest at, at that stage?
1: Always, I mean, we met at Mount Buller. Yeah, what was
0: it 2003 or something and ed being seven and a half years younger than me i continued to shut him down for the whole season (laughs) um well i was working as assistant manager he was in ski hire so i used to watch him like you know fitting helmets to the little snow groms and stuff and he asked me out from the minute he saw me and i said no i'm not dating anyone and then when we finished up at the end of the season he said are you finished now there's no reason not to go out with me and um That was it. From then on in, it was um, full steam ahead and we were engaged within a year and married six months later and we're still best of mates and madly in love, which is um, to have done what we've done and to have good kids, a solid marriage and love what we do. We just keep pinching ourselves because it, it really is a dream come true.
2: So how long ago was that?
0: We've been married over 16 years now, so we've been together 18 years.
2: Okay. And so did you, once you were married and had kids, did the the, the, the ski bum life uh, sort itself out? Did you have sort of no. more regular yeah, jobs? Yeah, no,
0: we, we couldn't afford it anymore. So uh, we packed up and came back to Melbourne. Yep. And uh, Ed got a job, you know, in heavy industry, which was something he really didn't like. He hated it pretty much, but we had young kids. And then he just kept making beer and in the end uh, – him and Miguel, as we call him, which is the third signature on our label. Yeah.
1: Um, it's actually actually Glenn Haley from uh, Kuyong Wines. Oh, <laughs> throw
0: it out there, Glenn.
1: <laughs> he's, he's magnificent. He's uh, like he he mentored me um, through the whole kind of process, and he's just made magnificent wine. So. He's
0: incredible what he does yeah. and their winery, you know, they're really into that sort of minimal intervention and wild
1: fermentation.
0: just doing everything right. So we're incredibly blessed because we get those barrels and it makes our jobs, you know. We were talking about it without the right barrels, without the right fruit, um, you know, yeah. everything doesn't come together. There's a lot of different moving parts to actually end up with the right beer, so...
2: I can tell we're going to talk about barrels, but I'm still interested in, again, because you, you've entered the industry in a in, in a niche way, so I, I'm interested in exploring those, uh, you know, the, the motivations and, and, and the interests. So, w- were you into beer as a ski bum, like apart from just drinking it, um, Fiona?
0: <laughs> no, so pretty much, I wasn't into craft beer at all, but I'd worked through Europe. I'd um, done time on private yachts and lived in London and stuff like that, and the hospitality industry was something just really suited me. Uh, love a little chat if I can fit one in. <laughs> I couldn't
2: uh, tell. I know exactly.
0: <laughs> so I did time. My first job out of school was working in the State Bank of Victoria. My mum sort of lined it up because she was worried about me, you know, becoming wayward because I probably would have. Um, then I went into the casino. So a strong background in finance, but always loved, you know, being at the snow or being in hospitality. Everyone's happy and having fun and it's just such a joy to be around those people and be part of that environment. So after we had kids and stuff, we hit the point they were going to school and we needed more money and Ed threatened me basically with um, a job and said I should go back to work and I turned around and said, you know what, you keep making this beer. We have beer everywhere. There was carboys in every bloody room of the house. I'm like, why don't we do this? Let's give it a crack. Let's have a go. And um, that was sort of where it came about. I said to him, you make it, I'll sell it. (laughs) I'd always wanted a business. I'd always wanted to do something and, you know, really push myself. But I I could never kind of figure out how to do it. I I knew I didn't want to work behind a bar seven days a week, but I knew I loved the industry. So it's given me everything I never knew I wanted almost because I get to go around and meet incredible people, be part of an industry where everyone's family, like my favourite hashtag is, Beer family is the best family because I have never felt more welcome and more loved, and I've made an absolute ass out of myself sometimes trying to repeat information that Ed's drilled into me prior. You know, um, anyone that knows me well will know I stood in front of Chris at Slow Beer and tried to tell him how many BMWs was in a beer once instead (laughs) of IBUs. (laughs) Oh, but no one's ever crucified me for it. No one's ever, everyone's been nothing but nice. You know, I asked Luke from Ale of a time, he asked me, can you tell me about this beer one day? And it was a Vienna Lager. I said, um, it's uh, got the name Vienna in it and it's a lager. And he looked at me and went, really? Still? I'm like, yes, I'm trying. <laughs>
2: okay. So step back then. So Ed, you worked in the um, brewery in Canada, in the, in, in the craft brewery in Canada. Yep. Brewing? Like, did you have an interest in home no, brewing was, before that, or
1: I was actually in the kitchen there. But it, I don't know uh, the uh, nice thing about that place was they incorporated all their beers and their recipes in the kitchen. And you know, I got to know the brewer there, and you know, got a bit of informo- information off him. And then you know, little bits and pieces put together came back to Australia. We kind of home brewing and um, brewing in the in the winery too. So just you know, playing around a little bit with semi-commercial equipment so pilot systems and we have just started putting stuff into barrels and uh, playing around with wild fermentation especially because the the winery has you know wild yeast and bacteria um and they don't they don't use any pitched uh pitched yeast at all so it's all wild stuff and they manipulate it in the vineyard so we're able to you know into a, a little bit of uh some grapes that weren't going into a, a bigger portion of wine and then inoculate beer with that and then put it away in barrels for a while and, and play around with other stuff and it was um it that turned out great so we kind of kept on doing it
2: uh, so, so this is the dollar bill um evolution rather than the uh brewery that you're working uh, at, at in canada
1: yeah so this is dollar bill yeah so the one in canada i was only in the kitchen there and yep. and yep
0: but it was that thing like when you do a job for the first time and you go i like doing this so i mean ed anyone that knows him he's a amazing um cook as well his food is outstanding his ability to put flavors together all those sorts of things and it is just just something um, that he absolutely loves to do and yeah he brought it back home and he uh you know being a little bit quieter than me as he said you know i wouldn't have gone out there and i wouldn't have done it and uh Glenn turned around and said, you're idiots, don't do it. And
1: uh, he, still, he still says that. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I turned around and said, screw it, let's do it. Uh,
2: so when, when was this? When What were the, uh, the, the early origins of uh, Dollar Bill? Uh,
0: probably, so we've been selling commercially for four and a half years now, but it probably took us an, nearly two years before that Uh, Coming up with the name was the biggest uh, dilemma that we had. Uh, Then just getting the branding and everything right. So I absolutely have a passion for interior design and marketing and all those things. So that was a really big part to get that right. You know, I was sort of leaning towards an organic name for the company. They gave me some strict rules, uh, no animals and no numbers and nothing broken, so no rusty gates, no broken (laughs) paddocks, no you know three blue ducks or whatever. so it took us quite a while to come up with something that, you know, and even then it, we still thought maybe our name's um, too commercial. Like people are constantly think it's quite a heavy-hitter name when they hear Dollar Bill Brewing and we go, no, no, it's just us, you know?
1: <laughs> it's, 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 it's ironic, if, if exactly. anything. But, it, but it, it was meant to be a little bit as well. So we're trying to avoid being uh, that truly organic winery kind of uh, we genre. We want to have fun. Well. We're trying to avoid being, uh, you know, we're trying to be beer, not Wine. Yep. Uh yet not beer. But we wanted to have a personality, between. didn't yeah. we?
0: Yep. Really wanted to have our personalities out there and have a bit of fun with the whole thing. And and that's the thing. We've just been embraced by so many people, you know, the The fact that we put suggested tracks on our bottles and things like that, you know, we've had so much feedback of people that just enjoy the the fun that it is, and that we're we're not being overly serious. Ed always says to me, "Remember, babe, it's just beer." beer.
2: But it sounds like you've lived your dream of becoming the mad scientist because you're not (laughs) doing the um, classic, you know, stainless steel lagers or pale ales. You you, you've gone into a completely different realm um, with, with dollar bill.
1: Yeah, well, and then, you know, I keep saying the the most enjoyable part of it is I don't have to follow those, you know, those guidelines that uh, the wine industry has or the guidelines that the beer industry has. I can get to play around with Brett and these funky characters and, and flavours. And, and then I get the um the absolute joy of putting it all together at the end and, and manipulating what we put out in a blending process rather than, you know, hitting go and from the start and trying to nail it at the end, you know.
2: Did you think about opening a brewery or starting a um physical brewery? Like uh, you know and with stainless steel and uh, wort production? Yeah,
1: I I've, I've thought about it a lot. Uh, I think we're um heading towards something in the near future. So that'll be, you know, geared more towards commercial beers and, and uh...
0: Yeah, basically we we pretty much to get to that next level Um, where it can support us and a few more people and we can, you know, do the extra things that we want to do and really have control of the whole process, we need to take that next step. Pretty much once our um, permits didn't happen out here at um, Invermay on the seven and a half acres, we started looking around anyhow and went, all right, we need to pivot our thinking on how we can grow this company and still be true to our, you know, we're completely off grid, we're into sustainability, the zero edition and all that, we're got three young girls we're trying to show them that you can do what you want you don't have to fold to how other people tell you how to do things so we've looked around and we've since come up with a property in town but we're working through some issues like renewable energies and stuff that we want to get in there but We want to do it because we want to do some mainstream beers as well, but we're going to do them really well and do them our way and and not do it just to hit production targets. And um, we'll keep the property out here and sort of hopefully have events out here two or three times a year where people can come out and see the orchard and see the, you know, wild ferment program and all the barrels and stuff we have out here. And we really want to turn it into something, you know, Ed quite often has the uh, guys from the Ballarat Homebrew Club who are awesome out here. And so much of it, as he said, along the way is about sharing your journey and the education, and that's something we really want to continue as we sort of try and upscale and make this something that, you know, Ballarat can be proud of and we can be proud of. Um, yeah, so we're hoping to do that and get a venue, get yep. some kit, and, uh, but still continue to be exactly who we are through doing it. We're, we haven't fought this hard and worked this hard to compromise what we want in the end.
2: Yeah, no, and again, there was certainly no um, implied criticism about asking about the stainless steel. It was uh, you, you've just done something that is fairly, uh, not unique, but fairly rare in in, in the industry. And
0: did it backwards.
2: Yeah, we did it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, it was completely intended that way. Um, yeah, we we knew that if
1: we had stainless steel, if we went and invested in stainless steel, it'd have to be running flat out and. You know, the potential costs of the stainless and then the distribution networks that you've got to build up instantly for that stainless to be running, really, you know, without being in the industry and without having, you know, those channels already kind of sorted out, it was the easiest way for us to get into the industry was to do small-scale production on something that has a great shelf life. Um, And if we didn't sell it instantly, it just sat there and we could kind of dribble it out, which is, you know, Fantastic for our cider. We started with cider production because we didn't understand the laws of
0: uh, excise and <laughs>
1: how yeah. that all works. So we started with cider and then and that, that's quite simple because it is it falls under the wet tax, which is wine and everything, and all you do is you pay the government thirty percent of what you sell and the legislations on where you can produce it and, and everything are quite easy. So we started with cider, uh, found out, got got some you know good feedback on on the cider and you know, worked out some Uh, relationships with uh, retailers and and that sort of stuff, distribution by ourselves and all that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, so so jumping in on that one, basically when it came time to sell it, um, you know, we – Ed basically gave me a list and said, um, here's the list of where I suggest you sell it. Um, Let's go do it. And the two of us went around together and actually knocked on doors and handed over samples so I had no connections at all in the industry. I had no idea on logistics. I'd never done it before. Um, we still do all our own deliveries and you know, social media. Basically, you call us, you whatever, email us, it's, it's us you get. Um, so it was a good way to do it so that we could figure out how it was going to work, if it was viable. Um, And to get to this point where, you know, the whole of all the judges and everyone said, yeah, you're viable and you're you're doing all right, guys. We're like, all right, well, maybe we've earned the right to, you know, take the next step and, and, you know, do something else different. But yet again, you know, Ed's not going to do it the stock standard way. He's got crazy recipes and apparently a ton of equipment we're going to require. But um, I'm looking forward to the next step.
2: But when you started so small, did you keep your day jobs? It was it was it like a, a side hustle?
0: <laughs> no, it still has a day job, which oh, is okay. The a lot of people don't know. We're really lucky. Um McCain's, which is a Australian um owned here, isn't it? No,
1: it's a Canadian owned but family-owned. Uh, family owned. Family, so family owned. owned. Yeah. They're not a big corporate. But
0: they really are um, so supportive of the Ballarat community and they're an amazing company to work for. When Ed actually uh, went and spoke to them, he was very upfront and honest, said, this is what we do, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they said, well, you put your hours in each week and we'll work around what you need. So, you know, things like when we had um, Good Beer Week and the Abers and stuff, uh, we just put in, you know, he puts down that he's not available. So... And that's the thing, we have been hustling and the shifts he does there, they're generally night shifts from 7pm to 7am and I'm doing the office work and looking after three kids so it's been a lot of work and it's been a lot of hustle so for us to be able to take that next step and to make it full time for both of us and maybe get a holiday, I would be super excited to get away for a weekend or something, Um, it's it's really exciting.
2: (laughs) Um, I mean, that must make – it's a real labour of love then and you're sort of bootstrapping yourselves into the industry in yeah. so many ways then.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I think the next step will be quite interesting because it's a, it's a big leap. Um,
0: That's huge. We're, oh, I'm petrified. Yeah. I think so. we'll be okay. Like, we're both um, fairly confident in ourselves. We've found a location in town that happens to be um, at the railway station. So it actually falls under state government legislation, which I think uh, might be uh, possibly a little bit more understanding about what we do and the fact of it being in such a location that's going to assist in tourism and jobs in Ballarat. Hopefully they'll be a bit more supportive and understand we don't want to be shoved out, you know, the backwaters of, you know, Wendaree or something in an industrial estate. We want to make something that... Everyone can share and be part of, and I think that needs to be in town. So, yeah, hopefully, we've um, we can make this all work. I'm yeah, sure we can. I mean, we've got this far. Crazy.
1: <laughs> the planning is that it always puts breweries in industrial areas, and I don't think they should fit into industrial areas.
0: No, the um, that and that's a big thing for I mean, God, talk to Deeds with their tap room and yep. and so many other people what they've gone through. I know co conspirators have been having issues with the back of theirs due to residential uh, for noise levels. There really needs to be um, a change in in how people view those because we are so much more like winery and hospitality than, um, industrial. than industrial. We're not industrial. We're, we're part of the community and it's actually the one thing that you know, gives me faith when I look around and I see all the stuff that's going on, the people in the beer community, any one of them will do anything to help you. They'll have your back. They'll they'll do what they can to to help you get what you need we've had nothing but full support from everyone we've met and i think what a great thing to have that and make local communities part of that and make everyone feel like they you know they really belong to something because these days you know you, half people don't even know their neighbors
2: and i guess that's a very much a historical thing for a long time breweries were big industrial spaces that were out of the cbd but not in yep they had to be close enough to market and transport but not out in uh, rural areas and they were perceived a certain way and we've seen over the last 20 years a fundamental change in perception about what a brewery is um even though it's manufacturing um it is a place that people actually want to sit in and enjoy the beers where they're made
1: it's agriculture it is fundamentally
2: agriculture There's there's a separation between
1: you know harvesting malting and and brewing but it is, you know, it's part of the land and, and molsters all the time. They find it so difficult to keep consistent product uh, without having, you know, massive, massive resources um, because it is a seasonal product just like hops. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, but at the same time, I, I again, I, I don't know too much about it, but I do know that a lot of the breweries, you know, like the guys on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland and things, you know, the, the council is very aware of truck movements and limiting, you know, the traffic on, on areas. And I, I mean, God, that would barely register for you guys at, at, at your <laughs> scale. Um, the but then for, for bigger breweries, I, I guess the fear is that they grow.
0: Yeah. But I mean, like anything, uh, there can be, you know, certain rulings around the size of breweries and stuff. You know, I mean, if you're going to have your real small local one that's there to service the community, I say support them because, you know, people talk about mental health and all these things day and, I don't think there's anything better than actually going somewhere where someone's going to smile at you, whether it be a bar or a restaurant or a library, whatever it is. It is yet again just another community um, facility where people can feel part of something, and I really think all um, you know councils and all areas need to have those you know things where they can connect people together.
2: It surprises me when you, when you see how highly regarded you are in our industry um, that there did seem to be a little bit of opposition. Um, You know, particularly now that you've got national recognition um, and potentially for a regional area could become a major tourist drawcard and a real source of pride for the locals. I was surprised that there did seem to be some opposition to what your plans were for the um, venue.
0: Uh, Look, that was no one's fault. Look, we didn't probably make it easy for council. We are on seven and a half acres. It's rural living. Um, There is a winery cellar door on our street, which was sort of the part that we were going, hang on a second. He's like 200 metres up the road. Um, but it was one of those things. Our neighbours, you know, they're uh, different generational. They haven't seen what we've done before. They've moved here for a quiet life. And fear of the unknown, it's a common thing in the community these days. Everyone is so separated that um, I don't blame them almost for not understanding what we were going to do. And that's why Ed and I had already pivoted and come up with this other venue because um, everyone kept saying, oh, what's next? And I said, well, We've actually been working on it since February anyhow, because once we found out how upset all our neighbours were, I went, I don't want to be that person that's there, you know, the elephant in the room and, and no one wants us there. That's that's not what we are about. So uh, for us, you know, we'd scale it right back. We'd still keep our wild ferment here and, you know, maybe do something two or three times a year where we had an event out here. Um but, no, it's it's part of your community and respect is a really big thing to have. And even though we didn't agree with the decision and it was pretty hard to take at the time, I've got to tell you, I did have a hissy fit. Um, <laughs> it was a pretty impressive one, by the way. But afterwards, when we went through everything, we went, all right, well, let's find another way to do it. I mean, if you really want to do something, I've got a mate that calls me Nike. He goes, I love it, Fee. Just do it.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, that's what you've got to do if you're really passionate about something and you want to make it happen, you know. Well, I say to Ed regularly when I hear council's going to do another survey, I'm like, don't do a survey, just do it and tell me in a month or two if it's working because I promise you, you'll get a lot further. But um, that's that's how I work and, uh, you know, it yeah. seems to have served us well.
1: Well, the, the, I think the planning department took about 18 months to figure out exactly what we were doing, which I think is probably the, the, one of the most frustrating parts is that uh, we explain what we are doing, and then we went through about four different planners until we ended up with the person who staff
0: kept leaving. Actually yeah.
1: advertised it, and then it went for public submission. I, I told them let's let's finalise it, let's put it out for public submission uh, so people can have their say, and we'll decide if we can do it or not. Because you know, 18 months of trying to just decide if we if if they could advertise it or if it was prohibited or not prohibited. It's um, frustrating.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. So by the time this hits VCAT in November, um, and for us it's actually part of the, what we're going for is an orchard, and they've told us we can't put trees in the ground because we want to use the fruit from the tree in a manufacturing way. Uh, we can't plant trees, which I still found an insanity that I can't plant trees on my own property. But because they are going to be used in such a manner, you know, you've got all those things that logic seems to leave the room every now and again. But you know what? It's, it's, you've got to work with what you've got. There's no point getting upset in life because pretty much you're the only one that ends up upset. So just find a way to make things happen. And if you're really believing in something, you'll get there in the end.
2: So, what is the next step for you guys?
1: Well, uh, I think that's, you probably see on our Instagram, we're, we're looking to start um, putting up a whole heap of posts. I don't know if we'll do it weekly, daily, monthly, um, but we're trying to secure a lease at the, the train station. Uh, at Ballarat, which is the good shed. Um, so there's a, a few players in that. There's uh,
0: uh, We can't actually go into that at that point, yeah, but we're <laughs> uh, sorry to jump in there. But yeah, look, we're in advanced talks on the property. So pretty much it's just going to be a matter of, you know, if all our licensing and et cetera can come through for the location, um, as long as that happens. And the biggest part is going to be we're going to be looking for investors because. Obviously, this was not the scale we ever sort of anticipated on doing. We sort of always planned on staying out here in Invermay and, and doing something relatively small where we kept just doing the um, mixed ferments. But, uh, yeah, now it's a matter of if we all get signed off, we get the investors, we'll open something up in town right at the train station of um told council you know if they can get on board i'd love to do up like a train carriage and do a charter train once a month where people come up and it's just decked out absolute bling brings them to the brewery also links them into you know sovereign hill or the wildlife park or whatever with courtesy buses and make it well we're all got a holiday at home well, let's you know let's work our butts off and make it something impressive and you know, I'd, I'd love to do that and hopefully um, we can get this across the line and council get behind us and we can really put Ballarat on the map as something special, which is, you know, what we've wanted to do since we got here. We've got kids here. We love what we do. It's an awesome town, so.
1: We can maintain our mixed ferment process out here, keep our, you know, commercial beers in town and, and put the two together. I think we'll probably be um, right on the right on the money.
2: <laughs> well, there could be some land coming up that – if. You know, brew doesn't execute its uh, world's greenest brewery proposal. There may be some land that you can. Uh, yeah.
1: When, when does that finish off
2: Matt? Uh, I, I, it it's coming up to the end of the five years fairly soon, I think. So uh, wow. maybe twenty twenty two. So uh, yeah, it, it, it was. It, it's interesting that the vapor brewery uh, seems to be have had some support, but uh, <laughs> something that has industry support hasn't.
0: Yep. We've found that interesting as well. That's probably one way of putting it. But, mm. yeah, look, there's nothing like sitting here now and being able to say, look, we've got a plan. We go all right. You know, let's get behind us and make this happen. And I think even until, you know, that last week and all the advertising stuff that's been out there now about the win, over half of Ballarat didn't even know <laughs> we were from Ballarat. No, so Didn't
1: know we existed Yeah. <laughs> It was, is we were, we know we're it was a, super niche. We're super niche in a niche, and um, yeah, we're only tiny.
0: Yep. Um, and to have the opportunity now where we can actually throw it out there and say, look, we think we've got more in us. We think we can actually do better. And, um, you know, if someone wants to invest in us and and believe in even, us. Even if
1: a lot of people, if we were, I'm quite open to like a public investment. So lots of little investors coming on board, something like that would be awesome. And then you've got this. You know, there's advocates who just uh, champion you all the way along and, and they get involved in, in the processes and, you know, the beauty of online these days is everyone can have a say without, yep. you know, they can say which, decide what they want to brew or what we should be brewing or, you know.
0: Exactly, which ties in with what Ed was saying before with our Instagram. I said to him, one of the things that everyone always says they enjoy about homebrew clubs is that that shared knowledge, that Um, feedback that you get and I said we would be insane not to share this journey and not put you know weekly or daily updates up there where we talk to people about what equipment we're looking at what design we're looking at is there anything we're missing and actually build this next step of the journey together and have everyone's input I just think it'd be um you know such a good resource for people because there's so many people out there that are crazy passionate about the industry a
2: whole lot
1: of fun you get to meet some awesome people it's you know That's the best part. And drink some great beer.
2: It sounds like you're almost talking about a potential crowdsource funding or equity crowdfunding or crowdsource funding campaign. Are you going to formalise that?
0: Yeah, we can't actually figure out how to put it because we've found with a lot of the crowdfunding ones, we don't think people get – Enough value for money. Um, that's probably the yeah, politest becomes, way to put it.
1: Uh, stage two or stage three shares, or you know, the second class, the different class of shares where they don't kind of get any say or bits and pieces like that. But uh, you know, if we can put it together somehow where we everyone gets like an ownership, gets value, gets value out of it.
0: Yeah, that's the one more. thing Ed and I have always been big on. Whenever we do our pricing, you know, whether it's our rare oak membership or putting bottles out there or whatever it is. You know, we want to share what we do. We don't want to make it unobtainable. We just want to – I've said to Ed all along, I don't need to be rich or famous. A two-week holiday each year, <laughs> bang up. I will be ecstatic. That That is it my goal like in life.
1: Do for a holiday. Sounds like it. <laughs> you
0: owe me.
2: But anyone that's listening, and it's funny because we do get people, um, both breweries looking for investment and people with money looking at, you know, do you know anyone that's looking for partners? Um, if anyone's listening and they've got a bit of cash that they wanted to put in at a Champion Brewery, um, are, are you taking calls? Yeah. Uh, we
0: will 100% be open. Yeah, you can know, email either email. <laughs> as long as you're
1: not looking to stock the Champion beer, we yeah. good.
0: <laughs> well, we can stock you next year
1: Next year.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, either edit at dollarbill.com.au or fiona at dollarbill dot com.au that's it there's no marketing there's no one it's it's us yeah. um and at the moment it may take a day or two to answer you yeah. but no we'd love to we just want to be part of it with people that feel like we do and that they want to do it right they want to take the time and plan it and make sure it becomes something that's that's sustainable that's a good thing to have that's a positive in every single, you know, step that it does and makes a difference because, you know, to be in a position where we are, where you actually have a voice is a pretty amazing thing and um, we want to do everything the right way.
2: Just for those who are listening, you know, I, I hear such enthusiasm and passion and excitement um, and pleasure in, in, in your voices, which is what a lot draws a lot of people into the industry. But I, I guess, you know, what are the practical realities – Ed's still got his, um, well, not day job, but it sounds like it's a, a shift. His shift work. Yeah. work, yeah. yeah. Uh, are you working outside of the business, uh, Fiona, to, to sort of make a, make a go of it?
0: Uh, no, so I'm pretty much full-time, so neither of us has actually drawn a wage yet. So
1: We have three kids, so Fiona yeah. does full-time child-rearing.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. So <laughs> we've got three kids that are, nice. you know, uh, they're year five seven and nine now so three girls so that's a full-on job and we've always been you know very much involved in their lives because I think if you you know want to raise decent humans you need to treat them that way and spend time with them and interact with them
1: and and me being 12-hour shifts I managed to uh, jam a thirty-six hour week in in three, in three days. Three shifts, so yeah. Not, you know, it gives me a little bit of extra time to concentrate on the the brewery process. Um, but I'm I'm mainly production. Fiona's all sales and marketing. So yeah,
0: and we've just everyone's been, as I said, everyone's been. Uh, so nice was like at the start all our sales were done via knocking on the door and we'd say I've got this basically in the boot of the car (laughs) Um, and I'm serious that's how it was I when I when I hit the point where I could actually send emails out and get orders I was like this is so easy
2: (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time how many hours combined do you think you're working on on this business that's not paying you a a wage yet
0: we'd both be full-time
1: Uh, about 80 hours a week (laughs)
0: minimum yeah yeah, exactly so So. we regularly have which is funny um 3am meetings one of us will wake up the other one will see the other (laughs) one on the phone and it'll be what are you doing well i just thought if we ordered this or blah and we go oh really
1: research or some email
0: but we both can't help each you know help ourselves he's so passionate about what he does and for me the people the marketing the, um, you know, the design side of things, I just I get an idea in my head and I'm, I'm off and running with it for a couple of weeks till I can see it through. So we're just really lucky. We're, we're a good fit and neither of us would have ever, we got along when we met, but neither of us would have ever picked that we'd done this. And I regularly say you see a lot of couples that can grow apart during their lives. And for Ed and I being able to share this journey, we've grown closer and closer through it all. And I said to Ed, you know, to actually have three kids that are nice people, to have done what we've done in business and to have a marriage that's so solid and and so nice to share with people to say, hey, if you prioritize what makes you happy and chase it down and, you know, you may have to work your asses off, it can actually happen. It's a really nice thing to know. You know, you see so many people these days that do it hard. Um, but you can make it. You, you really can trust your gut. So many people don't trust their gut and I tell my kids all the time, just trust your gut, believe in yourself and um, you'll be all right.
2: We spoke to Peter and Brennan Fielding um, on the uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago. They're celebrating their 15th anniversary and something that just sort of fell into the, the story towards the end was they referred to the chat that they had. And when I asked them about that, it turned out that, You know, they'd met working uh, when Brennan was working in uh, breweries in Hawaii and when they moved back to Australia to raise kids, it was always their dream to have a brewery. But when they looked at opening their own, they sat down and had the chat and, you know, made a pact to each other that they would let the business fail before they let their marriage fail. Um, And that really left an imprint on me that they'd, they'd talked for it and planned for that. Have you guys had that sort of chat yet? Because...
1: Yeah, I guess. Very I, similar. What yeah. are we, we two marriages in? So.
0: I'm, yeah, I made. We got remarried on our 10th wedding anniversary. Yeah. So he's married me twice now. He's doubly committed. <laughs> I'd have
1: to divorce her twice to get out. And
0: I've told him if we ever get divorced, I'm getting him in the settlement.
1: Yeah, so, I'm in that. Um, but quite often, you know, if the kids are struggling with the homework, I'll, I'll put aside things and, and, and help them with the homework just to get that family life, you know, working properly. It, it's. Priority because they're the they're the support you need when you can't when you have to do other things they're behind you all the way and you know Fiona's mum has been absolutely fantastic looking after the kids while we've done Gabs and Goodbye Week and her dad's been great with you know support and driving us around and everything so it's really with it, without family um, even my brother with his you know information and you know mentoring as well uh, but without family you're nothing so you you got to look after your family and, and they always come first.
0: We've had the chat about, you know, one of my big things was, you know, if we go the next step, you know, I know how many hours we work now and I know how many more hours we're going to add to it. And I said to Ed, you know, I'm worried that this will become, you know, um, consuming. So he's he's obviously younger than me. So, you know, he's only 40 and I'm that eight years older, which, you know, apparently adds up to 35. Um <laughs> I was really worried about, you know, how would it go and how we'd handle it. And as he said to me, he said, look, you know, if we don't actually do this, if we don't, it is regret that we'll have and that regret may actually cause us more problems going forward than, than believing it. And we've said, we're just going to do it, we'll pony up. And we sat down with the kids. It was a family discussion. It wasn't just us and we asked them if they supported us and they said yes. And we explained to the kids if it hit a point that it didn't work for anyone, we can pack up and move and, you know, we can catch fish for the rest of our life if we have to. Nothing's ever, any obstacle that's thrown at you, any failure or something, it's, it's not about what goes wrong in life. It's about how you get up after it. And that's constantly what we tell our kids and, you know what, let's chase the dream and give it a go. And if it doesn't work, the main thing is that we all have each other's backs and we get up and we walk away together. And that was the discussion that was had in our family was, look, it might change our situation and, and stuff like that, but gee, imagine if it works.
2: And it looks like it's going okay. But it, it, again... <laughs> 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 so far. So good. So far, so good. Oh, and, and I was just sort of in my own little reverie because I was reflecting on, you know, speaking from my experience of, um, you know, Bruce News was a side hustle that grew, um, uh, not wow. through being pushed. And, you know, I, I was working, you know, on, on it essentially full-time and then had a full-time, you know, events business in, in the beer industry as well. Um, and suddenly I found myself working those ridiculous hours and, you know, after 10, 11, well, uh, 12 years um, almost of uh, Brews News and it's become the, the main thing, so I'm incredibly for that but it does you know the initial excitement and discovery of the industry and the, the love of the industry you know even with all of that still intact um, it's an industry that does mine passion and you know you, you hear terms of founder's fatigue or just you know weariness um, are you concerned whether the hours that you're doing now are viable longer term or are sustainable they're
1: not. They're not at all. They haven't been for a while, but uh, we are. We're pushing through. So eventually, uh, we should get to a point where we get a little bit more equipment. And it's always, you know, I'm striving to get a forklift at the moment, just to lift barrels. Uh, is, <laughs>
0: anybody that uh, bought a beer from us over Good Beer Week, it all went to our forklift fund. So thank you so much.
1: <laughs>
2: Maybe you could just do equity funding on bits of equipment. Yeah. You can do a Go fund me for a forklift and see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Maybe exactly.
1: we should. Um, but, yeah, at the moment, I spend a lot of time double handling things because we're not set up correctly. And if, if we get set up correctly, I think it'll reduce the double handling and the, you know, work that's not really economic. Um, no. And we can focus and, on things that are really actually economic. It's streamlining processes.
0: Correct. And, and moving forward, you know, especially if we go into this new venue, Ed and I are smart enough, luckily, we're not smart at everything, but we both know what we're what at what we're good at. And I think that's a really good skill to have in life is to actually understand, well, I can do this, but I can't do that. So Ed's a cracker brewer. He's brilliant at what he does, he understands all that. I love the marketing and the advertising. Can we run a venue? No, neither of us (laughs) have run a venue before. We'll be hiring someone for that. Um, Are we good at logistics? Well, no. So far we've done it all ourselves. I'm going to need someone that knows how to do all those things. So, you know, the best thing you can do in life is understand your own limitations and surround yourself with good people and, and, you know, make it work that way. So as hard as the hours are and as big as this next step probably will be for us, it's actually going to be easier because hopefully we'll be surrounded by okay. some awesome crew that know their jobs and are actually going to share their knowledge with us, and we'll get to learn all those things that that we don't know because neither of us have worked in this sort of you know we've never worked for another brewery and seen you know uh, uh you know a hundred kegs go out in one week or something you know we'd be lucky if we get ten out in a week around here so it's um yeah I think it'll be. little hairy for the first 18 months but I think after that hopefully it becomes a sustainable thing that just is a pleasure to share.
2: Well I think that's a a good note to finish on and we certainly hope you do because again I would love to see your beers available up here in Queensland where I am Uh, and I hope you get to the scale that you can send a little bit more widely than than, uh, you you do currently and actually on on that if, if someone wants to try your beers and they aren't close to the the, the brewery or some of the better bottle shops in Melbourne, um, how how do they track them down?
0: So we can actually, we do have an online store that they can order through um, and you can check our stockers on the website. So I think up in Queensland we've got Bowen Heads.
2: Yep. uh, Bowen Phil. um... Uh, Yeah, Phil. Yeah.
0: Phil stocks our stuff. Um, yeah, so I think we're yeah. almost represented by one or two bottle shops in each state. Yep. But we do also have our online store. So.
1: And and our, our Rare Oak Society, which is a, a club membership.
0: Oh, for uh, so the diehards that want to get the good stuff, that's going to go out to public release uh, 15th of June. That'll be released. So our Rare Oak members get first crack at it um, to renew their memberships, and then we're thinking we're going to have possibly another 70 or 80. Um, spots open up after that on the 15th of June.
1: Yeah, but we send out just really interesting and small batch stuff, single barrels, uh, things
2: like that. He
0: sent out a Vermentino in the last lot. He got a little loose.
2: (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, that's a a style of wine that I enjoy. So uh, Uh, before this podcast goes out, I'm going to be jumping on so I don't miss my place in the line. Beautiful.
0: Beautiful. Well, yeah, anyone that signs up to our subscription too, they get a week, uh head start on the general public. So they'll get a code and they can get onto it before anyone else.
2: Yep. Lovely. Well, uh, well, we'll put a link in the show notes to all of that. And uh, look, uh, Fiona and Ed, congratulations. I was, I was at a table of uh, media people and industry people that sometimes can get just that little bit, Jaded or you know, world weary um, from the industry. And when you guys were on stage being celebrated by the industry, I had at least half a dozen people say, uh, This is what's all good about the industry. So, uh, you know, it, it really warmed not just uh, my heart, but a whole industry's heart to see you guys up on stage. So, congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: And, and just on that, to hear everyone that's come up to us and said, Congratulations. And I've had so many people that have shared stories. We had a, a brewer that came over from Perth and he said, I was on the plane and when I heard it, I've done the big woo. And <laughs> half the plane turned around and someone else said, like, I'm tearing up on a bus um, to hear how happy we've made other people and how wow. much they've enjoyed our story. Right. Ed and I just think um, we just wrapped it. It's, it's been positive for everyone and everyone's enjoyed it. So thank you to Every single person that has said something nice to us, has bought a beer from us, has given us any sort of help and encouragement, every single bit of it is appreciated.
1: Crazy chats about, you know, Britannomyces and and brewing processes (laughs) and, you know, step mashes and things. It's, It's fantastic. Like, yeah, come up and keep talking to me. I love it.
0: Yeah, we do. We seriously, we love talking to people. It makes us feel like we're actually making a difference in the world. It's a nice thing.
2: Oh, I, I couldn't tell you enjoyed talking about it, but guys, thank you for talking with me uh, on, on this conversation about all things Dollar Bill and all the very best.
0: No worries. Right, thanks thank so you. much for
2: the call. And that was Fiona and Ed Nolly. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Crime Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Crime Malt is dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are also our partner in beer conversations as uplifting and inspiring as this one.